Here we are, almost Halloween, number 16. Uh, race season is kind of over, but there's still some good good race uh, news going on. A couple interesting things about uh, in the gear section concerning mainly mud and horrible weather that uh, I can tell, at least where I'm at, we're about to get. Uh, some pretty funny old school things I noticed. Uh, a couple tidbits. All the usual stuff might be a little little oddball this week. There's a lot of weird little things I want to chat about. All right, let's get going. This is Short Travel Magazine. Short Travel Magazine. Interesting tidbits. Curated just for you. All right, some tidbits here. One of the main tidbits that keeps popping up in my YouTube feed, something I, I check YouTube all day long, it seems like, and GCN did a video, independent bike shops, they got videos. They're all talking about the state of the current bike industry, how companies are hurting, uh, too much stock, da-da-da-da-da. One, one guy claims, now he owns a bike shop, I, I believe it's a specialized dealer in Florida, and he's got, you know, connections with the industry, and he claims, he didn't say who, he said it was a major player. They have six years worth of inventory for some of the lower to middle range mountain bikes. He said, like, Trek Marlin, which is, you know, $1,000 type mountain bikes, kind of the average Joe bike. Uh, if that's true, even if it was a few years worth, obviously somebody screwed up because uh, I would have to believe anybody in any industry that had a boom during COVID lockdown eras would have to believe that that's not going to last. I know Shimano, for example, had, they claimed their uh, highest sales year in history. I believe it was in 21. Um, but even they admitted right right after that that they knew 22 and 23 were going to be bad. And, of course, Shimano just released their earnings. They are bad, and they're predicting 50% less sales overall in the bike divisions uh, at the end of the year. I believe it was the end of this year. 50%. Now, in my opinion, a part of Shimano's problem is that they haven't updated their crap in five years, and a lot of people, me included, are just not interested in buying something that feels and looks like it's way outdated. But I won't go into that. That's a separate rant for another day. It doesn't mean it is outdated. doesn't mean it's not superior to everything else in the world. It just looks and appears like they've given up on mountain bike stuff entirely, in my opinion. So I'm not that surprised overall with Shimano claiming sales are down. They're still huge in the road gravel world, of course. But, uh, I mean, if these companies do have years of inventory, uh, I'd say they, they goofed up. Uh, and apparently a lot of them, from what it sounds like, cannot just uh, 
blow everything out to get rid of it because they know, A, they're going to lose money on what they've already spent, and B, that will affect things for the next couple of years as people will have bought things they didn't even technically need at darn near half price, and they'll be right back where they started. So I can't see how they are in a bit of a pickle. Now, Trek released 24-line bikes. Did they drop the prices significantly? No. You're still talking, you know, 7500 bucks for a Super Caliber 9.8, which is kind of where I, the 9.8 range for me is kind of where I was at when I bought my first complete mountain bike in 2016. It was a Trek 9.8, and it was around 5000 bucks. I ended up paying... 4200 or something because it was uh, the 2017s were about to be released and the dude gave me a deal. But that was 5000 bucks in 2016 and now they're 7500 bucks. I'm not going to make comparisons between the two because it's not the point. But there is a point where people like me even who have some disposable income for bike stuff, have been planning to buy a new bike for a few years, I just cannot justify seven and a half to ten plus for a nice, light, race-worthy mountain bike. It's definitely crossed over into the, that just doesn't feel right. I don't give a hoot if it's equivalent to what it was. Oh, with inflation adjustment, it just seems wrong. So what's going to happen in the next year or two with bike prices? I don't know. Even if I found a bargain, I honestly don't think I'm going to bother. Uh, I may may go used. I've done that. Just find success buying a bike used. Even used prices are still too high, but I don't know. But I'm not surprised at all that bike companies are hurting. There seems to be way too many models, way too many companies. I mean, if, and not just of the whole bikes, but carbon wheels. There must be 7,000 companies releasing bicycle wheels uh, that all look basically the same to me. There just seems to be too much of everything. So it's just a normal market adjustment, I'm assuming. And the big guys, the Trek, the Specialized, the Orbeas, Cannondales, I highly doubt they're going to be closing up, but a lot of these smaller ones, I could see them having some issues. Uh, if that equals super bargains, so be it uh, for us consumers, but seems like a bit of a mess. Uh, what else? One other interesting tidbit that I found, Alejandro Valverde, anybody that follows the road, he I, I'm going to pull a, a journalist here. He's a controversial uh, Italian racer. I believe he's Italian, right? Or is he Spanish? I don't know. Might be Spanish. Controversial because, you know, he's involved in that whole doping world, that era of the Tour de France and all these things. But he just retired. I don't know what he is. He's probably in his 40s. Um, but he's now kind of committed to the mountain bike. He's pulling a Sagan, I guess. They get old, no longer competitive on the road. They go, oh, this mountain biking stuff must be... Uh, easier let me try that i know he's dabbled in gravel races in fact i think he the gravel worlds that just happened i believe he ended up in fourth uh him and keegan swenson 
sprinted it out at the world's fourth and fifth. So he clearly is still fit and fast. Uh, but there's some photos of him riding a Cannondale Lux full mountain bike. He looks good on the mountain bike. Sometimes I've seen these guys, these road guys, they just, maybe it's because I'm so used to seeing them on a road bike, they look kind of awkward. But he, he looked perfectly fine. Uh, he's planning on doing Cape Epic, and I think it's kind of cool that he already said point blank, look, I'm not there to win. I just want to have some fun and race the mountain bike. So you never know. These older guys, these longer distances with engines like he's got, I don't know, might be kind of fun to see him, see if he can uh, get up. Uh, I don't know if he's racing the elite pro level. I didn't really say because I know... There are plenty of ex-pros that do not compete in the pro level and the amateurs, and they usually do very well in the amateurs, if if not outright win uh, at Cape Epic. Look at Bart Brenchens. He pretty much wins his age category now every year. So that's kind of cool, seeing these road guys, I don't know, basically admitting uh, mountain bike's fun in way or, one way or another. Um, Sagan, Valverde, who else? There's, it seems like there was another few that have mentioned switching over to mountain bikes. So we'll see what happens next year. Uh, could be a total train wreck, like it usually seems to be, or not. Uh, let's get into some racing. Racing news and views. All right, race, race, race. Here we go. Of course, we are one week out from the Iceman cometh. Bum, 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 bum. It really is a big deal to... Many of us upper Midwestern racers, and even actually some of the not upper Midwestern racers, they got a pretty good pro turnout the last 10, 15 years. In fact, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I was looking at the history of winners uh, over the last 10, 15 years, and Matthias Flukiger's brother won, uh, it looked like maybe 12, 13 years ago, Actually won the Iceman. He must have come over here for some reason. I can't remember. Why can't I remember his name? Lucas? Lucas Flukiger? He actually won the thing. So you don't see a lot of Euros. In fact, very few European riders bother, of course. They're in cyclocross world or full-on resting world. And there's no UCI points uh, for this, so I can understand that. But um, a couple people, you know, there's always a couple people that I like to look for. I don't know if any of you YouTube regulars see Kerry Werner's. Uh, he's mainly, he's kind of was a cross guy. With, and he's done some mountain bike stuff, of course. Um, kind of does both. But he's kind of switched over to gravel so he could do the lifetime thing. I don't know. There are parts about his blog that annoy me. And there are other parts that I actually really enjoy. Overall, I enjoy it. I think it's cool. Uh, I kind of liked it when he had his uh, wife, Emily, and the dog in the RV going to the cross races. I always, and Spencer is mechanic, but I digress. Uh, he's going to be there, and Casey Hildebrand, who I interviewed and is from Wisconsin, uh, he's definitely going to be there. Apparently, he's he likes it. That's one of his favorite races, too. And he's done very, very well there, so we'll see what happens. But it's a week out. Am I prepared? I don't know. I'm definitely more prepared than I was seven, eight years ago. That's without without a doubt. I've been kind of putting in solid two hour, two and a half hour, and then on a Saturday I'll throw in a three or four hour 
kind of a, a, a high-paced, I don't know what you call it in the training world. I basically go about as fast as I can without, you know, keeling over, knowing I have two hours to go. So kind of like what I would do at an actual race, where I kind of just keep the pace as high as I can without dying. So that's already, that's been a couple of weeks, about, about, this be about a solid month of doing that. Um, which I don't know if there's enough time to get in shape for a race. I have no idea, but I just know at least I won't be croaking out there like I did seven years ago. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, what else? So we got that. Now, the World Cup schedule. Uh, of course, has been released. You've probably all seen it. The ones who don't care about the World Cup, I get that. But since this is the racing segment, I thought I would at least mention it. Uh, three, well, there's three, one of them's a downhill. The two, last two races of the schedule, Lake Placid, New York, United States. And then, of course, Mont Saint. And again, in Canada, October 4th through 6th. So, just like happened this year, I did not go to Snowshoe because that last weekend in September is my local race that I like to do. And I was all bummed because here we go. It's the exact same weekend. They had to do it again. So couldn't we, couldn't we get our U.S. races a little earlier in the year? Why couldn't we get a June-July race instead of the end of the year? Anyway, so there goes that. But uh, one of my uh, cohorts on the MTBR forum said, "Hey, why don't you just go to Mont Saint Anne instead the week after?" And you know what? I was considering doing that a few years ago anyway because it's. It's not that much farther from where I was at in West Virginia. I mean, it's far, but it's not like three days drive. So I don't know. I might be planning on heading up to Canada. I got to check all my paperwork. I have no passports or anything, but I got plenty of time to check into that. So September 27th, Lake Placid, October 4th through 6th, Mont St. And the rest of the schedule is kind of weird because of the Olympics or so I've been told. Uh, April 12th, so that's pretty darn early. Brazil, and then the next weekend, Brazil. So back-to-back Brazil races. Now that I find odd. Uh, I don't, I get why they have a race in Brazil, and April must be a good time of year for that. But two of them, interesting. Then you go to Scotland. Actually, no, that's downhill. Uh, Czech Republic, Nove Mesto. Now that's not till end of May. So you got almost a month between the first two races and the next one. And then a couple of weeks, you got your Val de Sole, Italy. And then you got your Switzerland the next weekend. And then you got one in France. And then nothing. So you're talking. You got the World Championships, first end of August, okay? But basically, as far as World Cup XCO races, you go from July 5th through 7th all the way to September 27th. So to me... That's two full months, all of July, actually, even more. That's almost three months. Uh, if you pop out the World Championships, which is, again, a separate event, and the Olympics, which is sometime, I believe, in July, you have three months between World Cups. That is weird. I don't really care when the Olympics and the World Championships are. That still seems insane. So that's a long time. Uh, maybe some of the... OKK races in Switzerland or something will be uh, something to occupy the 
the time online watching races. So what else? Let's talk uh, Christopher Blevins, the wonderful U.S. cross-country racer, specialized. He raced a few weeks ago in Greece. He posted on his Instagram, and I thought that was a little odd. Maybe he's there on vacation or something, but he raced two different weekends um, in the series. It's a whole series, a Salamina race series. It's pretty, I mean, there's at least nine races. I believe there's even a few more. He actually won the one on October 15th. Now, Filippo Colombo was second, and Maxime Marat. So, you know, that's about it as far as who I've actually heard of before. But still, that's that's not horrible. I mean, Blevins beating Filippo Colombo, that's kind of cool. Yana Bellamoyna actually got second, and Yannicka Loiv won that. And again, Isla Short was fifth. So there's some World Cup-level people in there. Now, the race before that, Blevins got fifth, and he got uh, Matis Azaro. Filippo Colombo won that. Marcel Guarini... George Egger. So there were actually pretty decent selection there. Blevins got fifth. I'm assuming he's doing it for point points purposes. I don't know. But you don't see a lot of U.S. people heading over to those type of races. And especially not two weekends in a row. So that's kind of cool. Uh, let's talk Gunnar Holmgren, right? Canadian. Killing it in the under 23. In fact, he just won the Pan Am gold medal which is Pan America, so it's North and South America, as I believe, all kind of doing their own championship. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, normally I follow that race this year. It seems, I, I didn't even know it was coming up. I didn't really notice, to be honest with you, which is weird because that's kind of cool because you usually see a lot of the best Canadian and the U.S. riders kind of, kind of sweeping those events. So uh, I don't, I can't find any video footage other than a couple highlights. That's probably why I didn't know about it. So that's cool. Congratulations to him. I know there's some rumors that he might be riding for Bart Brunchen's KMC team, which is odd fit, kind of. I don't think Bart has had any U.S. riders uh, at all on his team. So I don't know. It seems like Gunner might be... He's won so much, and... Uh, his siblings have been winning. You would think somebody larger, you know, maybe a specialized or somebody like that might grab him. So we're kind of interested to see how that goes. Um, What else? One last thing. Now, is this a race or is this a tidbit? I don't know. We'll call it a race bit. Uh, In case anybody didn't notice the last couple races, uh, World Cups, where somebody got a flat tire that had the new uh, SRAM transmission. Uh, the wheel changes, the rear wheel changes seem to take much longer than they used to. And even though in theory it's the same idea, pop out a, you know, pop out the axle, pull the derailleur back, flip the wheel in, it just seemed like, you know, these used to be 15, 20 second swaps. Some of them were taking 45 seconds or more to get this rear wheel in and out and i know it's a different process you actually have to hold the derailleur back up against you know the stop while you're tightening it i think there is some diff- but still these are pros you think they'd 
practice this. Well, Cena Fry of Specialized Switzerland posted a video on her Instagram. Uh, it looked like just a practice warm-up of them doing this swap, and it was ridiculously fast. 15 seconds, maybe? I mean, it was even faster than what it, things looked like they used to take. So apparently it can be done. Not exactly sure why this season it seemed like every one of them uh, was painfully slow. The guy had a uh, power drill for the axle removal, popped that trailer back, slammed the wheel, and boom, bam. It's like 15 seconds at the most. Pretty impressive. So I guess that uh, whole idea maybe is just user error or somebody needs to practice that. Uh, what else for racing? Ah, that's about it. We got some good cyclocross coming up this weekend. Uh, I believe the first Belgian. So if you guys, even if you've never tried watching cyclocross, but you have your GCN or Discovery Plus, maybe check it out. They got particularly that race course, if it's the one I think it is, with the gigantic sand downhills. It looked terrifying. It's very entertaining uh, to watch, so give that a shot. And what else? That's it. The next podcast I do, I'm not sure when it'll be because Friday I will actually be leaving for Traverse City, Michigan. The race is Saturday. I'm just going to drive up Friday, spend the night, do the race, come home the same day Saturday. It's a six, seven hour drive. So I'll be tired Saturday night, but that's, that's how it goes. So I'm not sure what's going on after that, but all right, that's it. Let's do some quick old school uh let's do some gear and then we'll do some old school hold on changing gears more new stuff we don't really need all right pretty quick one here this week uh mud let's talk mud racing a bike not riding a bike in mud because that's optional and you can choose not to which i choose not to first of all the only trails i have around here have fairly strict rules about riding in the mud and I just don't like cleaning off my bike uh, it gets destroyed so I generally don't do it um, but during a race of course certainly a larger race that they don't cancel like the Iceman or I've had a few fat bike races where they just go whether you want it in the mud or not um, I just remember last time, 27, 16, whenever I did the Iceman, it was the worst mud experience I've ever had. My bike was just trashed. So I got to thinking, what could I do this year? I'm praying, of course, that it's, if not dry, uh, maybe just damp, you know, not peanut butter thick, make your chain fly off kind of mud. So I just thinking, what could I do to my bike to keep it running as smooth as I could if it was a mud bath again. So I ordered up some of those lizard skin neoprene stanchion covers for the fork. I've seen, I didn't even know they still made those. I saw them at uh, the last race I did. Somebody just had them on their bike for fun. I thought, oh yeah, they used to make, so I ordered and they're like 15 bucks or something. And you just put these neoprene, neoprene rubber wraps around your fork and it protects the seals and keeps the stanchions from clogging up with mud and does that really matter in the end no my forks are 
seven, eight years old, but still, I don't like to ruin stuff for no reason. And I happened to remember I had one for the rear shock that I used to use on my soft tail steel bike that only had like a one inch travel shock. So I'm going to dig that out and see if that fits. So I'll cover up the shocks with rubber. Other than that, all I can think of is to bring a little vial of chain lube, uh, like a little squirter bottle. And if I have to stop and grab a water and kind of clean the drivetrain off, at least I can hit it with fresh lube. And speaking of lube, I have a bottle of, I believe, finish line kind of super duty all weather lube that I don't even know when and where I got it from. I've never used it. I only use the thinner stuff during the year. But I think I'll throw that in there. Maybe I'll just throw the whole bottle in my jersey pocket if it's going to be that wet. Because I figure some lube might be better than none. Uh, other than that, I can't think of anything else. I know some people spray vegetable spray on their down tubes in places um, to prevent mud from sticking. But really... If it's that bad, I don't think anything's going to matter that much. Other than my clothes, uh, which I've got plenty of cold weather clothes. So that's it. The other interesting thing, now this is switching over to the fat bike. I ordered some studded tires, some 45 North Dillinger 4, 26 by 4. I believe they are the generation previous models. They just came out with a new version. It actually has a less studs in and then the old one and I don't really care I mean if it, I never had studded tires so what difference does it make whether they're the old ones or the new ones but they're half price 117 bucks versus 250 or so um, already pre-studded with pretty pretty aggressive looking tread compared to what I'm used to on my fat bike so I have a spare set of fat wheels that I uh, don't really use this year and I'm going to throw them on there and I'll bring them to each race and there was one race last year I don't know if any of you certainly nobody probably south of Missouri southern Missouri southern Illinois Tennessee probably have no idea what it's like to try to ride a bike or fat bike when there's ice on the ground but it is not fun but there was one race last year, and I believe it was middle of December, maybe. I can't recall the exact date. But there was snow on the ground, and the whole race was on snow. However, this weird kind of temperature drizzle um, situation happened where the actual snowpack trails had like a little layer of ice on them, and it was almost terrifying to turn. Um, yeah, I kind of was aiming for the side of the trail to where it was kind of packed snow. Um, all the tires were going over it must have made it worse. And I remember thinking, now this would have been a spot, if not, uh, not to, I'm going to, I don't win these things anyway, but just for safety purposes, it would have been really nice to have the option to throw these wheels on. So I know there are people who ride all winter over lakes. They commute and they have studded tires, not even fat bike, just regular mountain bike tires. I've never owned them in all these years, and I'm going to try them out. So that that could be kind of kind of cool. If, if they're as safe feeling as I hope, I may actually try and ride outside much more this year than I have in the last 10, 15 years. I used to do it all year, kind of, 
before Zwift and Wahoo Kickers were invented. It was either do nothing, ride some rollers, which I did a few times. That was not fun. Uh, the last couple, like last night, I did a kicker, Wahoo Kicker Zwift session of around an hour, 15 minutes. I actually hated it more than I ever have. I don't know why, but the last couple times, it's just been horrible. Uh, boring, horrible. I don't even feel like I'm, my legs hurt, but I don't feel like I'm gaining anything by doing that. So I may try and mix it up this year and just try and ride outside in the snow with these studded tires. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, what else? There are other thing that's interesting. These little tiny, uh, you, you may have seen these. There's several companies pushing these little tiny mini electric pumps. Uh, the latest one, I believe it's from a company called Bytex. Is that what it is? Bytek. Bike Tech. B-Y-K-T-E-K. This takes small to a new level. This is the smallest one I have ever seen. And it's starting to approach the level. It still doesn't fit in a saddlebag like a CO2. But I actually bring two CO2 cartridges with me. So now that I think about it, it's not a horrible idea. Uh, CO2s, of course, once you use them, they're done. This thing, not sure how many tires it could pump up. It's higher. It says, you know, it'll do uh, 73 three road bike tires up to 70 PSI on a charge. So what does that equal to with a mountain bike tire of 20 PSI? Be equivalent? I'm not exactly sure. Be nice if they had some of those specs off of mountain bike tires, but um, it's 100 bucks. It's kind of ridiculous. It's three and a half ounces. Certainly cheap. Two and a half by two by one. I mean, two and a half inches by two inches by one. That's insane. Uh, Preston and Schrader. So, I don't know. I'm going to see if I can get a hold of one of those. Some of the other ones I've seen are a little larger. More like something you'd throw in the car. Although, honestly, I just throw my regular pump in the car. But for uh, something long distance, I don't know. Is this better than a little tiny mini pump? No. I have a little tiny mini pump I keep in a secondary bag that I throw on my bike for longer than an hour rides. But still, I think I could see these getting down maybe even smaller to the point of it would be like, you know, keychain size. That, now, that could be kind of cool. Uh, that's it for the gear. There's um, some other stuff I have on tap, but we'll wait till next week for that. Let's do a little old school and then we might be ready to wrap it up. Let's talk about the old school. All right, more old school stuff that people don't care about. But I do find this stuff interesting, if nothing else, from a historical point of view. Uh, as a reminder how things have changed. Uh, 1996, now we're talking mid-90s, that's the year I consider that kind of max first generation mountain bike that was the first year of the olympics there was a lot of money and sponsors involved the world cup was going strong norba was still a thing uh the czech world cup 96 
men's field. Ready for this? 183 riders at once. 183. Okay, that it looked absolutely insane to watch this the start of that race. There were just so many people out there. I mean, yikes. Now, the laps were longer back then, you know, five, six miles, so it was easier to get spread out, I guess. But uh, um, but one thing that stood out, the uh, the team from France, Sun, S-U-N-N, which I don't see anything at all, uh, any, any remnants of that. I have to do a little research, whatever happened to them. But they were dominating. They had the first, first and second racers, and there were a lot of names up front that were later caught for doping. Michael Rasmussen, there's Miguel Martinez, and I don't know if he was caught for doping, but there's suspicions, of course. A lot of these guys and women were were doing that. So if you, when I looked at the people in the top five and ten, I go, oh yeah, busted. Oh yeah, they were busted. Oh yeah, they were suspected. So that was a weird time. Um, what else? The other video I saw, the 2008 Olympics. It's cool to watch these Olympic videos. I don't know why I enjoy them, but uh, now the 2008, that was only the third, well, it would be the fourth Olympic mountain bike race. You're right, you got 96, 2000, 2004, 2008. Uh, Absalon was, he blew everybody away. Um, his bike was interesting. I like to look at the bikes and the clothing that people were wearing in these older videos. Now, 2008 is not, it's old school, but it's not, you know, I call that kind of the middle middle era. Um, but Absalon was the winner, and he still had bar ends on. Now, they were the super tiny, tiny ones at this point, but he had disc brakes in 2008, which I don't remember those. See, I was still on V-brakes all the way till 2016, so I guess I don't really remember when discs took over. But a lot of people had visors on their helmet, and if you look, many, many people had grip shift, twist shifters, old school grip shifters. Because at the time, I'm pretty sure SRAM did not have trigger shifters yet, so it was either Shimano or twist shifters. So it's kind of weird seeing... So many of those when you basically see none of them now. But uh, Nina, uh, Epsilon comes across the line. Uh, Parade, Parode, I guess. I think he was French, right? He came in second, Christophe Parode. And they came across the line, silver, gold. And they, they just kind of stood up, walked around, and you would not even know they just raced their bike for two hours at the Olympics, right? Here comes third place coming around the corner, Nino Scherter. I totally forgot that Nino was in those Olympics back in 2008. I mean, that is a long time ago. And I believe that was his first medal. And he came across the line and literally collapsed, could hardly breathe in a heap. So it just stood out to me, you know, somebody even back then, 22-year-old Nino um, versus Absalon and Parode, Parod, they're finishing walking around as if nothing happened. He finishes and collapses. So 
Interesting. I'm uh, you can read into that what you want, but huh. Makes me shake my head a little. So that's it for the old school. I didn't want to keep going too long on that, but uh, I find it great fun to watch some of these old videos and just study them and kind kind of see what stands out uh, with the bikes, who these people are. A lot of them you never hear from again. A lot of them just kind of had a few years in this in the limelight and then disappeared. And the outfits seem to be baggier. Their clothes weren't quite as skin tight. I don't know. It's kind of cool. All right, that's it for this week. Uh, talk to you next week. And have a good ride. Thank you ever so much for listening to Short Travel Magazine. 